More William, Chapter 10. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Kara Schallenberg. More William by Richmal Crumpton. Chapter 10. The Helper. The excitement began at breakfast. William descended slightly late, and, after receiving his parents' reproaches with an air of weary boredom, ate his porridge listlessly. He had come to the conclusion that morning that there was a certain monotonous sameness about life. One got up and had one's breakfast and went to school, and had one's dinner and went to school, and had one's tea and played, and had one's supper and went to bed. Even the fact that to-day was a half-term holiday did not dispel his depression. One day's holiday! What good was one day? We all have experienced such feelings. Half-abstractedly he began to listen to his elders' conversation. "'They promised to be here by nine, his mother was saying. "'I do hope they won't be late.' "'Well, it's not much good their coming if the other house isn't ready, is it?' said William's grown-up sister, Ethel. "'I don't believe they've even finished painting.' "'I'm so sorry it's William's half-term holiday,' sighed Mrs. Brown. "'He'll be frightfully in the way.' William's outlook on life brightened considerably. "'They come and removin' this morning?' he inquired cheerfully. "'Yes, do try not to hinder them, William.' "'Me?' he said indignantly. "'I'm going to help.' "'If William's going to help,' remarked his father, "'thank heaven I shan't be here. Your assistance, William, always seems to be even more devastating in its results than your opposition.' William smiled politely. Sarcasm was always wasted on William. "'Well,' he said, rising from the table, "'I'd better go and be getting ready to help.' Ten minutes later Mrs. Brown, coming out of the kitchen from her interview with the cook, found, to her amazement, that the steps of the front door were covered with small ornaments. As she stood staring, William appeared from the drawing-room, staggering under the weight of a priceless little statuette that had been the property of Mr. Brown's great-grandfather.' "'William!' she gasped. "'I'm getting all the little things ready for him, just to carry straight down. "'If I put everything on the steps, they don't need to come into the house at all. "'You said you didn't want em trampin' in dirty boots.' "'It took a quarter of an hour to replace them. "'Over the fragments of a blue delft bowl, Mrs. Brown sighed deeply. "'I wish you'd broken anything but this, William.' "'Well,' he excused himself, "'You said things do get broken, removin', you said so yourself. "'I didn't break it on purpose. It just got broken, removin'.' At this point the removers arrived. There were three of them. One was very fat and jovial, and one was thin and harassed-looking, and a third wore a sheepish smile, and walked with a slightly unsteady gait. They made profuse apologies for their lateness. "'You'd better begin with the dining-room,' said Mrs. Brown. "'Will you pack the china first? "'William, get out of the way!' "'She left them packing, assisted by William. "'William carried the things to them from the sideboard cupboards. "'What's your names?' he asked, "'as he stumbled over a glass bowl "'that he had inadvertently left on the hearth-rug. "'His progress was further delayed "'while he conscientiously picked up the fragments. "'Things do get broken removin', he murmured. "'Mine is Mr. Blake, and is is Mr. Johnson, and is is Mr. Jones.' "'Which is Mr. Jones? The one that walks funny?' 
they shook with herculean laughter so much so that a china cream jug slipped from mr blake's fingers and lay in innumerable pieces round his boot he kicked it carelessly aside yus he said bending anew to his task im what walks funny why's he walk funny persisted william has he hurt his legs yes said blake with a wink he heard him at the blue cow comin ere mr jones's sheepish smile broadened into a guffaw well you rest said william sympathetically you lie down on the sofa and rest i'll help so's you needn't do anything mr jones grew hilarious come on he said my eye this young gent's all right he is you lie down and rest he says well here goes to the huge delight of his companions he stretched himself at length upon the chesterfield and closed his eyes william surveyed him with pleasure that's right he said i'll i'll show you my dog when your legs are better i've got a fine dog what sort of a dog said mr blake resting from his labours to ask the question he's no particular sort of dog said william honestly but he's a jolly fine dog you should see him do tricks well let's have a look at him fetch him art william highly delighted complied and jumble showed off his best tricks to an appreciative audience of two mr jones had already succumbed to the drowsiness that had long been creeping over him and was lying dead to the world on the chesterfield jumble begged for a biscuit he walked perforce for william's hand firmly imprisoned his front ones on his hind legs he leapt over william's arm he leapt into the very centre of an old venetian glass that was on the floor by the packing-case and cut his foot slightly on a piece of it but fortunately suffered no ill effects william saw consternation on mr johnson's face and hastened to gather the pieces and fling them lightly into the waste-paper basket it's all right he said soothingly she said things get broken removin when mrs brown entered the room ten minutes later mr jones was still asleep jumble was still performing and messrs blake and johnson were standing in negligent attitudes against the wall appraising the eager jumble with sportsmanlike eyes he's no breed mr blake was saying but he's all right i'd like to see him after a rat i bet he'd seeing mrs brown he hastily seized a vase from the mantelpiece and carried it over to the packing-case where he appeared suddenly to be working against time mr johnson followed his example mrs brown's eyes fell upon mr jones and she gasped whatever she began e's not very well m explained mr blake obsequiously e'll be all right when he slep it off e's always all right when he's slep it off he's hurt his legs explained william he hurt his legs at the blue cow he's just restin mrs brown swallowed and counted twenty to herself it was a practice she had acquired in her youth for use in times when words crowded upon her too thick and fast for utterance at last she spoke with unusual bitterness need he rest with his muddy boots on my chesterfield at this point mr jones awoke from sleep hypnotized out of it by her cold eye he was profuse in his apologies he believed he had fainted he had had a bad headache brought on probably by exposure to the early morning sun he felt much better after his faint he regretted having fainted on to the lady's sofa 
he partially brushed off the traces of his dirty boots with an equally dirty hand. "'You've done nothing in this room,' said Mrs. Brown. "'We shall never get finished. William, come away. I'm sure you're hindering them.' "'Me?' said William, in righteous indignation. "'Me? I'm helpin'. After what seemed to Mrs. Brown to be several hours, they began on the heavy furniture. They staggered out with the dining-room sideboard, carrying away part of the staircase with it in transit. Mrs. Brown, with a paling face, saw her beloved antique cabinet dismembered against the doorpost, and watched her favourite collapsible card-table perform a thorough and permanent collapse. Even the hat-stand from the hall was devoid of some pegs when it finally reached the van. "'This is simply breaking my heart,' moaned Mrs. Brown. "'Where's William?' said Ethel gloomily, looking round. "'Shh! I don't know. He disappeared a few minutes ago. I don't know where he is. I only hope he'll stay there.' The removers now proceeded to the drawing-room and prepared to take out the piano. They tried it every way. The first way took out a piece of the door-post. The second made a dint two inches deep in the piano. The third knocked over the grandfather clock, which fell with a resounding crash, breaking its glass, and incidentally a tall china plant-stand, that happened to be in its line of descent. Mrs. Brown sat down and covered her face with her hands. "'It's like some dreadful nightmare,' she groaned. Messrs. Blake, Johnson, and Jones paused to wipe the sweat of honest toil from their brows. "'I don't know how it's to be got out,' said Mr. Blake despairingly. "'It got in,' persisted Mrs. Brown. "'If it got in, it can get out.' "'We'll have another try,' said Mr. Blake, with the air of a hero leading a forlorn hope. "'Come on, mates.' This time was successful, and the piano passed safely into the hall, leaving in its wake only a dislocated door-handle and a torn chair-cover. It then passed slowly and devastatingly down the hall and drive. The next difficulty was to get it into the van. Mrs. Blake, Johnson, and Jones tried alone and failed. For ten minutes they tried alone and failed. Between each attempt they paused to mop their brows and throw longing glances towards the blue cow, whose signboard was visible down the road. The gardener, the cook, the housemaid, and Ethel all gave their assistance, and at last, with a superhuman effort, they raised it to the van. They then all rested weakly against the nearest support, and gasped for breath. "'Well,' said Mr. Jones, looking reproachfully at the mistress of the house, "'I've never handled a pianer.' At this moment a well-known voice was heard in the recesses of the van behind the piano and sideboard and hat-stand. "'Hey, let me out! What you've gone blocking up the van for? I can't get out!' There was a horror-stricken silence. Then Ethel said sharply, "'What did you go in for?' The mysterious voice came again with a note of irritability. "'Well, I was restin'. I must have some rest, mustn't I? I've been helpin' all morning.' "'Well, couldn't you see we were putting things in?' The unseen presence spoke again. "'No, I can't. I wasn't lookin'. "'You can't get out, William,' said Mrs. Brown desperately. "'We can't move everything again. You must just stop there till it's unpacked. We'll try to push your lunch into you.' 
There was determination in the voice that answered, "'I want to get out. I'm going to get out.' There came tumultuous sounds, the sound of the ripping of some material, of the smashing of glass, and of William's voice, softly ejaculating, "'Crumbs! That old looking-glass getting in the way!' "'You'd better take out the piano again,' said Mrs. Brown wanly. "'It's the only thing to do.' With straining, and efforts, and groans, and a certain amount of destruction, the piano was eventually lowered again to the ground. Then the sideboard and hat-stand were moved to one side, and finally there emerged from the struggle William and Jumble. Jumble's coat was covered with little pieces of horsehair, as though from the interior of a chair. William's jersey was torn from shoulder to hem. He looked stern and indignant. "'A nice thing to do!' he began bitterly. "'Shuttin' me up in that old van! How do you expect me to breathe? Shut in with old bits of furniture! Folks can't live without air, can they? A nice thing if you'd found me dead!' Emotion had deprived his audience of speech for the time being. With a certain amount of dignity he walked past them into the house, followed by Jumble. It took another quarter of an hour to replace the piano. As they were making the final effort, William came out of the house. "'Here, I'll help,' he said, and laid a finger on the side. His presence rather hindered their efforts, but they succeeded in spite of it. William, however, was under the impression that his strength alone had wrought the miracle. He put on an outrageous swagger. "'I'm jolly strong,' he confided to Mr. Blake. "'I'm stronger than most folk.' Here the removers decided that it was time for their midday repast, and retired to consume it in the shady back garden, all except Mr. Jones, who said he would go down the road for a drink of lemonade. William said that there was lemonade in the larder, and offered to fetch it, but Mr. Jones said hastily that he wanted a special sort. He had to be very particular what sort of lemonade he drank. Mrs. Brown and Ethel sat down to a scratch meal in the library. William followed his two new friends wistfully into the garden. "'William, come to lunch,' called Mrs. Brown. "'Oh, leave him alone, mother,' pleaded Ethel. "'Let us have a little peace.' But William did not absent himself for long. "'I want a red handkerchief,' he demanded loudly from the hall. There was no response. He appeared in the doorway. "'I say, I want a red handkerchief. Have you got a red handkerchief, mother?' "'No, dear.' "'Have you, Ethel?' "'No.' "'All right,' said William, aggrievedly. "'You needn't get mad, need you? "'I'm only asking for a red handkerchief. "'I don't want a red handkerchief off you "'if you haven't got it, do I?' "'William, go away and shut the door.' William obeyed. Peace reigned throughout the house and garden for the next half hour. Then Mrs. Brown's conscience began to prick her. "'William must have something to eat, dear.' "'Do go and find him.' Ethel went out to the back garden. A scene of happy restfulness met her gaze. Mr. Blake reclined against one tree consuming bread and cheese, while a red handkerchief covered his knees. Mr. Johnson reclined against another tree, also consuming bread and cheese, while a red handkerchief covered his knees. William leant against a third tree consuming a little heap of scraps collected from the larder, while on his knees also reposed what was apparently a red handkerchief. Jumble sat in the middle, catching with nimble snapping jaws dainties flung to him from time to time by his circle of admirers. 
Ethel advanced nearer and inspected William's red handkerchief with dawning horror in her face. Then she gave a scream. "'William, that's my silk scarf. It was for a hat. I've only just bought it. Oh, mother, do, do something to William. He's taken my new scarf, the one I'd got to trim my leghorn. He's the most awful boy. I don't think—' Mrs. Brown came out hastily to pacify her. William handed the silk scarf back to its rightful owner. "'Well, I'm sorry. I thought it was a red handkerchief. It looked like a red handkerchief. Well, how could I know it wasn't a red handkerchief? I've given it her back. It's all right. Jumbles only bit one end of it, and that's only jam what dropped on it. Well, it'll wash, won't it? Well, I've said I'm sorry.' "'I don't get much thanks,' William continued bitterly. "'Me givin' up my half-holiday to help you removin', and I don't get much thanks.' "'Well, William,' said Mrs. Brown, "'you can go to the new house with the first van. "'He'll be less in the way there,' she confided distractedly to the world in general. "'William was delighted with this proposal. "'At the new house there was a fresh set of men to unload the van, "'and there was the thrill of making their acquaintance. "'Then the front gate was only just painted, and bore a notice.' wet paint. It was, of course, incumbent upon William to test personally the wetness of the paint. His trousers bore testimony to the testing to their last day, in spite of many applications of turpentine. Jumble also tested it, and had, in fact, to be disconnected with the front gate by means of a pair of scissors. For many weeks the first thing that visitors to the Brown household saw was a little tuft of Jumble's hair adorning the front gate. William then proceeded to help to the utmost of his power. He stumbled up from the van to the house, staggering under the weight of a medicine cupboard, and leaving a trail of broken bottles and little pools of medicine behind. Jumble sampled many of the latter, and became somewhat thoughtful. It was found that the door of a small bedroom at the top of the stairs was locked, and this fact, added to Mr. Jones's failure to return from his lemonade, rather impeded the progress of the unpackers. "'Break it open,' suggested one. "'Better not. "'Perhaps the key's inside,' suggested another brightly. William had one of his brilliant ideas. "'Tell you what I'll do,' he said eagerly and importantly. "'I'll climb up to the roof and get down the chimney and open it from the inside.' They greeted the proposal with guffaws. They did not know William.' It was growing dusk when Mrs. Brown and Ethel and the second van-load appeared. "'What is that on the gate?' said Ethel, stooping to examine the part of Jumble's coat that brightened up the dullness of the black paint. "'It's that dog,' she said. Then came a ghost-like cry, apparently from the heavens. "'Mother!' Mrs. Brown raised a startled countenance to the skies. There seemed to be nothing in the skies that could have addressed her. Then she suddenly saw a small face peering down over the coping of the roof. It was a face that was very frightened, under a superficial covering of soot. It was William's face. "'I can't get down,' it said hoarsely. Mrs. Brown's heart stood still. "'Stay where you are, William,' she said faintly. "'Don't move.' The entire staff of removers was summoned. A ladder was borrowed from a neighbouring garden and found to be too short. Another was fetched and fastened to it. William, at his dizzy height, was growing irritable. 
"'I can't stay up here for ever,' he said severely. At last he was rescued by his friend Mr. Blake, and brought down to safety. His account was confused. "'I wanted to help. I wanted to open that door for him, so I climbed up by the scullery roof, and the ivy, and the drain-pipe, and I tried to get down the chimney. I didn't know which one it was, but I tried them all, and they were all too little.' and I tried to get down by the ivy again, but I couldn't, so I waited till you came and hollered out. I wasn't scared, he said, fixing them with a stern eye. I wasn't scared a bit. I just wanted to get down, and this old black chimney stuff tastes beastly. No, I'm all right, he ended, in answer to tender inquiries. I'll go on helpin'. He was, with difficulty, persuaded to retire to bed at a slightly earlier hour than usual. "'Well,' he confessed, "'I'm a bit tired with helpin' all day.' Soon after he had gone, Mr. Brown and Robert arrived. "'And how have things gone to-day?' said Mr. Brown cheerfully. "'Thank heaven William goes to school to-morrow,' said Ethel devoutly. Upstairs in his room, William was studying himself in the glass. Torn jersey, paint-stained trousers, blackened face. "'Well,' he said, with a deep sigh of satisfaction, "'I guess I've jolly well helped to-day.'" End of chapter 10 Read on September 9th, 2007, in Oceanside, California.